The fellow standing up here next to me um, is borrowed from Aaron and Christie's office. Christie calls him Herman. Um, Aaron calls him Bones. So you can call him whatever you want to. Um, we're going to borrow Herman tonight uh, to talk about encouragement. Encouragement. There was a man who went out one morning and to get his newspaper and uh, his new dog had went out and got the newspaper for him and was standing on the front porch with it. And the man was so delighted in that that he went inside and got a very tasty uh, bite of meat and gave it to the dog for uh, being so prompt and obedient. The next morning he went out to go get his newspaper and the dog uh, was on the front porch, not this time not with just one newspaper, but with about 20. <laughs> a little encouragement goes a long way. And we want to think about that this evening. A little encouragement goes a long way. We don't want to be, as members of the Lord's body, we, want, we don't want to be like a bunch of icebergs that are, are making uh, their way to the bay and just happen to bump into each other. That's, that's not what we want to be. Uh, we want to be more like phone chargers where we uh, reinvigorate each other, like power outlets that give uh, energy and power to each other. We want to be encouragers. Encouragers. And that's the ideal uh, this evening. When we read uh, the New Testament, oftentimes we run into the word encourage or exhort. And the basic meaning behind that word is to uh, come to the side of someone or to be called to the side of someone. We cannot be standoffish. We must be present and we must be involved in people's lives. That's the main idea of being an encourager. This involves some risk because sometimes when you, when you seek to encourage, uh, you fall flat on your face. But uh, oftentimes, uh, a little encouragement does go a long way. We want to borrow Herman tonight and focus on the anatomy of an encourager. That's our focus tonight. The anatomy of an encourager. And so let's get started. Let's start with Herman's mind. The mind of an encourager. Because that's very, very important. You know, Paul says in Philippians 2 and verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And right there in Philippians 2, it talks about how Jesus left heaven and came to earth. For our sakes, he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of man and being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, he humbled himself. And so he, he came here for us. And he wants us to take on that same man, that same man. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but rather to minister 
and to give his life a ransom for many. And so the mind, the mind of an encourager is very important. We think about Barnabas, Acts chapter 4, 32 to 37. Many in the early church were selling their possessions and selling their houses and lands for the sake of other people and bringing it and laying it at the apostles. Barnabas also does this. In fact, the other disciples gave Barnabas the name uh, Barnabas because it meant son of encourager. Barnabas' other name is Philip. But they sort of changed his name to Barnabas because it meant son of exhortation, son of encouragement. Barnabas had the mind of an encourager. Let's think about Barnabas for just one moment. We know that he was a generous person. So the mind of encourager is a generous mind. Being very willing to give up what you have for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of someone else. That's what an encourager does. Over in Acts chapter 11 and 24, Luke records that Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And so... An encourager has a good mind. What does it mean to have a good mind? It means you love good things. You're a lover of good. Titus 1 verse 8 speaks of qualifications of elders. One of the big ones is to be a lover of good. A lover of good people, a lover of good things, a promoter of good things. That's what Barnabas was. In fact, the Jerusalem church sends Barnabas there in Acts 11, 22-26, sends him to Antioch. And he came. And when he saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. And he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. That is the mind. The mind of an encourager. So very important. Someone has said that Eventually, a rock can be shaken from its foundation base. But it's hard to move a mind that is set on Jesus Christ. The mind of an encourager is so uh, very important. And so the anatomy of an encourager. And then, I'd like for us to focus on the eyes of an encourager. The eyes of an encourager very important to understand that we need to see properly to be an encourager. In John chapter 4 verse 35 Jesus said to his disciples lift up your eyes and look upon the fields for they are white already unto harvest. Why is he saying this to his disciples? Because he's talking with a woman of Samaria and the disciples came and they saw him and they wondered they marveled actually. In fact they were astonished that he would be talking to a woman in public, first of all, but then also to be talking to a woman of Samaria. And Jesus will eventually get through to his disciples and and help them to understand that their purpose on earth is to share the gospel with everyone, especially those who may think that they they do not deserve the kindness of God. Lift up your eyes and look upon the fields and notice they are white already unto harvest. A lot of times we are not Seeing because we're not looking. The eyes of an encourager are so so important. Part of 
having the proper eyes as encouragers is to be able to look at ourselves. As Andrew was bringing out before the Lord's Supper this morning, it's so important to have self-examination. Well, notice what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. He says, why is it that, that you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't see the log that is protruding out of your own eye? How can you take out the speck in your brother's eye when there's a big log protruding out of your own eye? He says, you hypocrite. First, remove the log that is out, that is in your eye. Remove that log that's in your own eye. And then notice this, Matthew 7, verse 5. Then you'll be able to see clearly how to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is interested in the speck that's in the brother's eye. But he's also interested for us to be able to see clearly. To see clearly. And so oftentimes, being an encourager begins with self-examination. Once we are able to do that, and we're in the habit of doing that, and then it will be obvious. It will be, it will be understandable. We'll be able to see clearly how to help someone else. And so the eyes of an encourager is uh, just very crucial. Very crucial, as you know. And then, also, we want to think about the tears of an encourager. Sometimes we have tears that will come out of our eyes. About the tears of an encourager. It's so important. We, we mentioned uh, this morning how that um, when we get to heaven, God shall wipe away all tears. There are some tears that we, um, we don't like. But there are some tears that are very necessary. There are some tears that are very necessary. For example, tears of gratitude are necessary. Tears of gratitude. Luke chapter 7, you remember Jesus being in Simon the Pharisee's house? And he talked to Simon rather straightly. If you pick up in Luke 7, 41 to 47, you'll see that Jesus is talking to Simon. But also coming into that, that, that supper, that dinner, was a sinner, a sinful woman. She evidently had been forgiven by Jesus, but she was known to be a sinner in the city. She comes in, and she just begins to cry, weep, wash Jesus' feet with her tears, and wipe them with her hair, and then she took some ointment and anointed Jesus' feet, and then she continued to kiss his feet. He looked to Simon, he said, Simon, when I came into your house, you gave me no water, but this lady, she continues to wash my feet with her tears. You gave me no greeting. You gave me no kiss. But she continues just to kiss my feet. Simon, you didn't give any ointment for my hair. Customarily, you know, customary greeting. Hospitality measure. But this woman continues to anoint my feet with oil. Simon had a problem. Okay, He had a heart problem. But this woman didn't. Because even though she had sinned, and, and she had many sins... Jesus at some point evidently had forgiven her sins and she couldn't help but just come in and she had these tears of gratitude that she, want to, she wanted to show toward her Lord. Tears of compassion also are very important. Remember Jesus went and saw Mary and Martha at the passing of their brother Lazarus and it says in John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Romans 12, 15 says we are to rejoice with those that rejoice and 
and weep with those that weep. Tears of compassion are very important. This helps us to be an encourager, evidently. And obviously, obviously, it helps us to be an encourager. We will encourage others when we are full of gratitude toward the Lord. We will encourage others when we are moved to tears because of compassion for someone else. And as we mentioned this morning, there are the tears of concern. In Philippians 3.18, Paul said that he, he says this with tears. But he says, there are enemies of the cross of Jesus. And there are. There are. It didn't make Paul glad to report this. He says, I say this with tears. There are enemies of the cross of Jesus. How did Paul handle this reality? That's the thing. How did he handle this reality? Well, we get an insight into that in Acts 17, 16 and 17. When Paul arrives in Athens and he sees that the whole city is given to idolatry. And what does he do? What does he do? Well... He couldn't help it. His, his spirit was so provoked within him. His spirit was so stirred within him that he just went on into the marketplaces. He went wherever there were people and he began to address and listen and address and finally get an opportunity to speak to them about the true God of heaven and earth. But his spirit was so provoked, so stirred, that it, it pushed him into the arena. He, it pushed him to engage. Engage. Folks, It does us very little good to simply state the fact that many are in error. Somehow or another, we must engage the world. That's what Paul did here. He engaged the world. It may be that as he engaged the world, he would be criticized. Paul was often criticized by people who contended to respect God. But be that as it may, we must engage the world. Because the world, there's a world that's lost. And unless we try to engage them, provoke them, speak to them, ask them questions, do something where we might have a, an opportunity to teach the gospel, then it does us no good to complain that there are people in error. And so we notice that the tears, the tears of an encourager is also uh, very, very important. Now, let's think about the mouth. Of an encourager. Herman's got his mask on here. So let's think about the mouth of an encourager. That's, that's huge too. And there's a little passage back in um, Malachi 3 verse 16. You might want to just study further. I'm not sure I have the total grasp of that passage. Malachi 3.16 does say, Those that fear the Lord... Talk to one another. If nothing else, this is a great communication verse. Those that fear the Lord. Why do those that fear the Lord need to talk to one another? Well, it's just common sense. First, you want to keep each other informed about opportunities to do good works and to be an encourager. That's That's why the Lord has put us here. But another reason that we talk to one another is to encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, 25 is often used, as it ought to be, to talk about the assembling of ourselves together. But go to the end of that verse. It talks about exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. That's that's the idea. And also right there in Hebrews 10, 24, uh, as we come together, 
we are to um, consider one another and provoke one another uh, to love and good works. I'm told that the word provoke there uh, has uh, a background in um, what farmers use or shepherds or other farmers. Uh, kind of the idea of having a sharp stick to poke. The idea behind this word is to poke with a sharp stick. And you would use this not to be brutal to an animal, but rather to encourage an animal to stay out of danger. If an animal or a sheep was headed toward a cliff or to a rocky area or to a ditch where they might get injured, then you would just quickly take your little sharp poker and poke it so that it can change its directions and perhaps save it from injury, even save the animal uh, from from losing its life. So in the same way, we are to provoke one another to love and good works, lest someone becomes stagnant in the Lord, lest someone becomes um, lost or disinterested. We must keep on every day uh, stirring one another up. I don't make this up. Hebrews uh, 3.13, notice this. Every day, encourage one another, the, the writer says, Hebrews 3 and 13, encourage one another every day while it's called today, lest any of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's the danger out there is that sin is all around us. We can become hardened to it. It can, it can make inroads into our lives. It is our responsibility to be encouraging each other day by day day by day, so that uh, we can keep each other away from sin. Romans 1, uh, 12, Paul speaks of the fact that he wanted to come to Rome and, and do some work there, encourage the brethren, preach the gospel to the lost, preach the gospel to the church. He says, I want us to be mutually encouraged. Mutually encouraged. That's, that's the idea. Mutually encouraged. Paul wanted to encourage as he come, but it's not all one-sided. In fact, it's never one-sided. But he also wanted to receive encouragement himself as he went and worked among those, those brethren. And so the mouth of an encourager uh, is so, so vital as well. We must use our words uh, to build up. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, Exhort one another and build one another up as I know that you are doing. So the anatomy of an encourager certainly involves uh, using our lips, using our words to boost one another. Uh, and then, you can't see it here. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Herman is smiling. Okay. This is a small thing, but an important thing. Something that, um, that I've had to work on, I'm still working on. Sometimes just our very appearance can either be encouraging or discouraging. And I've noticed that sometimes people will look at me and say, well, what's wrong? And there's absolutely nothing wrong. I just hadn't thought about smiling. I just didn't didn't grow up that way. We uh, we weren't um, growing up We didn't know, I never, I, I honestly did not know what the word depressed meant until I got into college. I never had heard that word. It just wasn't used around 
around our house. We didn't know that there was something to be sad about. We just went about every day and we were just we were just happy. We would laugh and we would smile, but then if we weren't laughing or smiling and it didn't we didn't we didn't we didn't assume something was wrong just because you were looking at someone's face. Well things change. But Proverbs fifteen seven uh, Proverbs fifteen thirteen speaks to this a little bit. It says, A glad heart makes a cheerful face. Proverbs 15, 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but a sorrowful heart crushes your spirit. And so there is something to say about uh, our mannerisms as we are around each other and as we approach each other, as we speak to one another. Uh, Sometimes just the way we approach someone whether we're glad or sad, can uh, boost them or discourage them one way or another. And then, before we leave uh, the head of Herman here, uh, let's think about, uh, you can't see his ears here, let's think about the ears of an encourager. That's huge. That's huge. How do we hear? How do we hear? Well, we have to listen it's amazing that many of the good works mentioned in the Bible comes from hearing, comes from hearing first. Going back to the situation with the Jerusalem church sending uh, Barnabas to Antioch, notice in Acts uh, 11, uh, 21, the, the thing that had happened was that people had been scattered at the stoning of Stephen, and many people scattered due to that persecution, of course, had taken the gospel with them, and many came and right to Antioch and preached the gospel. And many who heard the word believed and turned to the Lord. And many were doing this. And so Jerusalem heard about this. And so they sent Barnabas down there. But notice in Acts eleven twenty one, it came to the ears of the church. That's, that's where. When, when, when the church heard about it. And it actually uses the phrase there, the ears of the church. The, the church needs to have good ears. Listening for ways to encourage. Listening for, for uh, gaps to fill in. Listening for opportunities to do good works. And that's what the Jerusalem church was doing. And when they heard that, they sent Barnabas down there. And by sending Barnabas down there, and Barnabas himself being the encourager, then he was able to help increase the good things going on in Antioch. Now there's some people you don't want to send. There's some people you don't want to send. You know what I mean. Please don't send that person. He's just going to go to the end. He's going to criticize everything. He's going to wonder why they're doing this and that. Don't send that person. But Barnabas was a good one. And he did. He saw the grace of God. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. And even many more were added uh, to the Lord at that time. Back in uh, Genesis 14, 14, Abraham heard of the capture of Lot. And when he heard that, he got busy to go rescue Lot. Jeremiah 38 and verse 7, when Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian, heard that that they had put Jeremiah the prophet in this this cistern and he was just down there in a bunch of mud and no food, no water, when he heard that, he got busy, he went to the king and said, I'm going to rescue Jeremiah. I'm going. Zedekiah the king was so weak. Zedekiah had allowed Jeremiah to be put in that place. But then when a bold person like Ebedmelech came along, Zedekiah said, yeah, 
take some in and go get him. And he did. See, it's all about what you hear. What, you, what, what are you listening for? If we're listening for it, then we'll be able to see the good works that need uh, to be done. The way we listen, Jesus teaches us, is important as well. And Brother Whitaker was here earlier in the year, and he, he reminded us of this as well. You know, Luke 10, when Jesus was getting ready to give the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan, there was a conversation took place with a lawyer. Before that, the lawyer wanted to know uh, from Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus asked a question, a couple of questions. He says, well, what is written in the law? What is written in the law? And how do you read this? Jesus is teaching us there. Not that Jesus needed to know anything, but he's teaching us to slow down and carry on the conversation and listen. Unless we listen, we don't know how to help. We've got to learn to listen. So the ears of an encourager are very important. Before we leave the head of Herman here, let's also think about his cheek, his cheekbone. What did Jesus say about the cheek? Yeah, Matthew 5 and 39. He says, if somebody smites you on one cheek, then give him the other cheek as well. Aaron's always said, I need, I need to take a beating for Jesus. And He's probably right about that. But I think we all understand what Jesus is mentioning here. He's saying, be willing to absorb some things for the Lord. Don't think about yourself. Don't think about winning the argument. Rather think about that sometimes we've got to absorb some foolishness from others in order to help them see the light of Christ. We want the church to win. We don't have to think about personal victories. It's okay if, if someone looks to us and says, he's a fool, that's okay. He's a nut, that's okay. As long as the Lord wins in the end. That's the main thing. Someone smites you on the cheek, turn the other cheek to him as well. Jesus always illustrated or lived out what he said. And he did it many times with this verse. He would absorb things. And ultimately he absorbed the, the ultimate price, of course, for all of us. But he absorbed so many things. Think about what they were saying to him when he, when he hung on the cross. You know, think about that. What would you have wanted to do if you had the power of Jesus? You saved others. You, you can't save yourself. If you be the Son of God, come down from that. If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus just took it in because there was, there was a greater truth. There was, there was a greater work to be done instead of just striking back. Galatians 2.20 says we're crucified with Christ. And someone has said that um, dead men have no egos. Very true. Very true. Brother Jack Exum used to come to Curry Church Christ when I was little and give us uh, weekend meetings. He would say, you can't embarrass a humble man. That's true, too. Dead men, dead men have no egos. And so we wanted to think about Herman's cheek here before we left uh, his head. But let's move on and think about the hands, the hands of Herman. The anatomy of an encourager involves our hands. We've got to 
If we're going to encourage, then we've got to roll up our sleeves and be willing to get dirty. We've got, we got to engage. We've got to be involved. We can't be standoffish, as the word encourage means. We've got to come to the side of people. We think about Jesus' story he told about the Good Samaritan. And you've heard it summed up many ways, but you've heard it summed up. You know, you've got the, you've got the passing priest, okay, passed by on the other side. You've got the looking Levite. You know, he just looked and went by. But then you've got the soothing Samaritan, or you come up with any word you want to, okay. The sensible Samaritan, but the Samaritan stopped. Okay. Much different than the priest and Levite. Much different than the religious guys. Much different than the professional religious people. Okay. And it's the same way today, isn't it? Those who deem themselves professionals in the religious world are usually far from, far from the needy, greedy work that needs to be done. Okay. I've told you guys many times, I'm no different than you are. I'm no different than you are. I'm just, I, I grew up on the pew just like you. Okay. We're, all, we're all fellow servants. We are fellow servants. There's no one higher than anybody else. We're fellow servants. Okay. And the Samaritan, he rolled up his sleeves and he stopped. He was going somewhere else too, but he stopped. And he, he took care of the man's wounds, put him on his Bees took him to a nearby little hotel, paid for his stay there, was int- intended to come back. We're sure that in the story he would have come back and looked after his needs even further. That's what it takes. First John uh, 3, we've read many times, First John 3, verse 18, let us not love in, in word or talk, but rather in deed and truth. Not just by our lips, but in deed and in truth, let us love. Okay. And so we think about the hands, the hands of an encourager. We think about the anatomy. And of course, we've got to, um, we've got to think about his feet as well. His feet. Herman's feet. Herman the encourager, he has, he, he'll use his feet uh, to encourage. I think about a few people in the book of Acts. You know, Paul took the missionary journeys. He took the Great Commission to heart and was involved in these missionary journeys. The Lord wanted him involved, and he didn't resist. And he, he took it seriously. Think about all the miles that Paul and Silas traveled, Paul and Luke traveled, Paul and Barnabas traveled. You know, there, there's, there's no substitute for just going physically to places. Think about Barnabas when they sent him from Jerusalem to Antioch. He was willing to go. It's great. Think about Philip. And the Lord had him going different places. Philip in Acts 8 was preaching in Samaria, but the Lord wanted him to go and intercept the travels of this Ethiopian eunuch. And he, he got to a certain spot. And the Lord said, go join that chariot. And he ran to the chariot, just like the Lord told him to do. There's a little occasion recorded in 1 Samuel 23 where Jonathan is in the palace. He leaves the palace. He goes out to a place 
way away in the countryside. I think it's called Horish. This is where David was. He went out there and strengthened the hand of David. Jonathan's father Saul had been pursuing and badly mistreating David, as you know. Jonathan, his friend, his brother, his friend, he left the palace to go search. He found David and he strengthened his hand. Look how he used his feet to go and do. There never will be a substitute no matter how far in technology we proceed, there will never be a substitute. Brother Rob said it several times back in January, there will never be a substitute for a warm-blooded individual. For a pair of feet willing to come, come to the side, come to the side. There's going to be risk involved. But go, we must go. And then... Before we finish, we want to emphasize the knees, the knees of an encourager. Oftentimes when people prayed, as we read this morning from Acts 20, 36, they would get on their knees. I'll tell you what, I, I used to frown on that a little bit. I didn't want somebody to tell me how to pray, what position to be in praying. Of course, nobody's doing that. The Lord's not even doing that. But those examples in the Bible are there for some reason or another. Maybe every once in a while, when nobody's watching, maybe you should just get on your knees. Maybe I should just get on my knees. And maybe there's something humbling about that. We need to pray for other people. Do you want to change someone? Do you really want to change someone? Do you truly want to change someone? You'll spend a lot of time on your knees in prayer. And not only will it change someone else, it'll end up changing you as well, me as well. So, if you really want to encourage, you know, encouraging is about other people. So pick out three people, different people, three different people a day and pray for them. Pray for them by name and circumstance and pray for them. Well, what a, it could be just, maybe it's five different people a day. Pray for, pray for them by name and circumstance and see what happens. And then try this. What about going to them and saying, hey, you're on my prayer list this week. What's going on? Anything you want me particular to pray about? Now some people, I, how many people would resist that? I can't imagine somebody saying, I don't want you praying for me. And all the times that we have asked uh, waitresses, and other people at different eating places, we're about to pray, would you like us to pray something? I've never had one say, don't pray. Most of the time, she will say, I have this, this, and this I'd like for you to pray about. And so the anatomy of an encourager, so many different things to think about in being an encourager, but being an encourager is exactly what the Lord would have us to be. There are many examples of this in Scripture. Thank you for working through some of these examples uh, with me, and as usual, we offer the invitation. It may be that that maybe you, for some reason or another, who knows why, how, but it may be that there is someone either here or at home who has lost that spirit. Perhaps one time, one time you had that spirit of encouragement. You wanted to be a builder. You you wanted to exhort other people. You wanted to make that your life's aim your everyday activity. And perhaps it doesn't. You know, the Hebrew writer said it right, didn't he? 
We've got to encourage lest the hardness of sin sets in on us. And sometimes that happens. Maybe you'd like to get back to that. We'd be glad to talk to you, study with you, pray with you. We can pray over the phone. We can pray through these face-to-face things through the, uh, the phones and computers. We, we, can, we can pray. There are a lot of ways to pray. The Lord's not limited in prayer. You can stand on one side of the fellowship hall. I'll stand on the other side of the fellowship hall. And we can pray, and I bet you the Lord will hear it. What do you think? So if there's something that is amiss in your life, we'd love to study with you, pray with you. We'd love to assist anyone this evening in your obedience to the Lord's gospel. Won't you come right now as we stand, as we sing?